Handel's music for the Royal Fireworks is the very definition of occasional music, the occasion for which it was tailor-made being the celebrations in London of the signing of a peace treaty. And George II needed something spectacular from Handel to match the fireworks. The king got what he wanted, even though the monarch's ideas weren't all to Handel's liking. And that's left us with a variety of options and all manner of different possible approaches, as we're about to find out. I'm Andrew McGregor, presenter of BBC Radio 3's CD Review, and this podcast edition of Building a Library was recorded live at our pop-up studio in Sage Gateshead as part of BBC Radio 3's free-thinking festival of ideas. Mark Lowther joined me to discuss the options and compare the recordings, and I began by asking him how well he thought Handel's fireworks music fitted the festival's theme of tearing up the rulebook. This is occasional music. This was written for a very specific occasion. Um, It's something that Handel did very rarely. The strange thing is that the two times he did it are two of the most famous pieces of music for us now. Handel would be amazed if we were still playing the water music and the Royal Fireworks music. It was disposable music as far as he was concerned. That was it. Um, So there's a sort of tearing the rule book up thing there. There's also the fact that this was absolutely commissioned by the monarch for a very special occasion, which we'll we'll, we'll come to later on. Um, The king knew what he wanted. Handel knew what he wanted. And they weren't the same. And they weren't the same. (laughs) And Handel won in the end. So the king's rule book got, shall we say, at least put aside, if not torn up. La réjouissance, rejoicing at the signing of a peace treaty. We'll get to that later, I'm sure, Mark. But uh, from Handel's music for the Royal Fireworks, it's impressive. It's made to be heard outdoors while all kinds of colourful explosions are going off, well, in the foreground, I expect. Um, Not exactly Handel, it is most sophisticated and subtle, then. It's not. I, I, I said just now that actually Handel would be very surprised if we were that we were still playing this. He'd have been really cross that we weren't playing the music that he regarded as the sort of thing he did best, which was vocal music. Um, it's, this is very simple music at its heart, actually. I mean, what we've just heard basically used three chords. That's all. Um, because he knew the occasion of the first performance was going to be something where, frankly, if he'd have written beautiful, subtle, flowing harmonies, they'd have just got lost anyway. There was no point. He did what he was required to do, and he did it brilliantly, and I suspect that's one of the reasons why we're still listening to it now. And it's a big overture, isn't it? It's a, it's, it's a great opening. It hear, is. we better hear it from the top, haven't we? Let's hear, let's hear it right from the top in another recording.
That's the opening of the overture of the Royal Fikes music. That's Sir John Elliot Gardner and English Baroque soloists back in 1983. It's stylish, it's unfussy, it's very, very enjoyable. It's amazing to think that this next recording was actually made ten years after that. That's the opening of the overture from Handel's Fireworks Music. The Academy of St Martin in the Fields, conducted by Sir Neville Mariner. They, they made several recordings. Made three Which recordings yeah. altogether. That's the latest, that's, that's the last one. That's the hence the classic recording made in the 90s. Um, it brings up several interesting things, because you, you could hear how it was sort of swapping between the string group and then the oboe band. And, well, you've brought the score. What yeah. does that tell you to do? No, none of that is in there. That's all editorial. And it's one of the things that struck me as I've been listening to a lot of these recordings, the people who are prepared to trust Handel with the sort of simplicity of his original idea and the people who think, oh, no, you can't possibly do play the same little bit of music twice without changing the orchestration or a bit of clever re-editing. Yes, of course, there has to be some of that. But the thing that struck me about this Neville Mariner recording was that it all feels a bit grafted on. You know, an editor has said, this is what we're going to do. Do this now, do this, do this now. now. It, exactly. yeah, you can feel them saying, and now this. And exactly. And it doesn't feel spontaneous. It doesn't flow, does it? And actually, I've discovered, listening to recordings that, that don't mess about like that, it's actually unnecessary. That's the point. Now, if we're going to talk about editorialising, we've got something which... Well, it was the benchmark way of doing the fireworks music for quite a long time, wasn't it? In, introduce it. Absolutely. The, the, the arrangement by Sir Hamilton Harty for symphony orchestra. Now, when I was growing up, and if ever you heard a, a bit of the water music or the fireworks music on a, on a, a radio programme like uh, you know, Family Favourites or something like that, it would usually be the Harty arrangement. It was the standard way of playing it. And all credit to Sir Hamilton Harty, he actually kept this music alive a lot of the time because it wasn't being played other than in his arrangement for quite a long time. The arrangements date back to the 1920s. His fireworks music arrangement only uses the instruments that Handel actually had, but he uses them in very 20th century ways. That's the fireworks music with the LPO, the London Philharmonic Orchestra, conducted by Sir Adrian Bolt in 1949. Hamilton Hardy's idea of how Handel ought to be reorchestrated for a modern symphony. I can remember playing that. It's, it's rather wonderful, actually. And there were later recordings, too. There was a very famous one by George Sell and the LSO, which was around on Decca for years and years and years. Well, it brings up all the issues of editions, orchestrations, Handel's intentions, you've already hinted at it, but is there, is there an authorised source as such? Um, how do we know, in as much as we can at all, what Handel wanted? Well, if we go back to the, the original reason for it happening, 
this big open air performance um, marking the, 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 the peace treaty of, of Aix la Chapelle, the place that's now Aachen in, in North Germany. Um, it was outdoors. The fireworks were outdoors in, in Green Park. Um, the king had said quite specifically, um, no strings, no fiddles, he said, definitely. Handel, of course, being A, the great businessman that he was, and B, um, having his charity that he, he did concerts for at, at the Foundling Hospital, he already was thinking about the second performance, which was going to be indoors at the Foundling Hospital only a few weeks after the one in Green Park. So he wanted to have strings in. And the king said no, and he said yes. And eventually the score um, had both options, if you like. Um, the, the manuscript that we have has been scribbled on an awful lot by Handel or by somebody who was involved in those performances. There were only two performances in his lifetime, the outdoor one in Green Park and the one a few weeks later at the Foundling Hospital. And obviously he was, as composers did in those days, just adapting it to what he had available and how he wanted it to be used. So we have recordings now of that original outdoor orchestration with no strings um, he was quite specific about the about the numbers of instruments he wanted: sixteen oboes, twelve bassoons, nine horns, nine trumpets, um, three sets of timpani, etc., etc. And there are recordings of what we assume was something like what was done at the Foundling Hospital um, with um, a few strings. And there are quite a lot of recordings. We'll come to this in a minute. Played by you know, a modern chamber orchestra. Um, but let's have a listen to that original orchestration with, with the, the, sorry, I said 16, didn't I? 24 oboes, 12 bassoons. This is what it sounded like. That's how you get heard over fireworks outdoors yes. <laughs> somewhere in London, isn't it? You well, actually, I should say that as far as we know, the music was played before the fireworks, not during them. Small point of order. Do carry on. And also, there, there was a previous performance, wasn't there? Because there was a dress rehearsal there in was. Vauxhall Gardens, yeah. south of the river. That was another thing that Handel fell out with people about, because he wasn't very keen on the idea. But they had this rehearsal, uh, this open rehearsal of Vauxhall Gardens, invited the public... There were only two bridges over the Thames in those days, London Bridge and Westminster Bridge, and Westminster Bridge had already been closed owing to subsidence. <laughs> so there was only London Bridge open, and it couldn't take the traffic. There was, a huge there was, traffic jam, there was chaos, and, and apparently there was, there was a fracas. There was fisticuffs. Well, it's, it still feels like that kind of piece, entirely appropriate as well. What, we just heard the original version from uh, the English concert and Trevor Pinnock. That's their second recording, the 1995 second, yeah. version. So, who should we hear next? Well, that wasn't the first recording of 
um, the original orchestration on period instruments. There'd been one a few years later, which we all got terribly excited about on Hyperion with Robert King and the King's Consort, because this really was the first time it had been done on period instruments. And it stands up very, very well, I must say. The problem is it doesn't quite have Pinnock's joie de vivre, and I find towards the end of the overture, it just starts to feel a bit heavy. See what you think. Consort directed by Robert King in what was at the time. Well, it was the first recording of the original version on period instruments. Period and, instruments yeah. Well, you just felt it just sag a little at the end, there, didn't you? It's, 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 a, it's a strange illusion. As I was listening to it, it felt as if it was getting slower, yeah. although it never actually did. Yeah. It's just to do with the phrasing, and it, it, it just feels a little bit a little bit chubby now. Well, um, who doesn't find another one for it? Ha <laughs> Well, now this one's a bit special. If, if you're looking for lift off, this is the one to go for. I want to just wind back in the music to the end of the slow opening section, although in this recording it's not too slow, and hear the transition into the, the quicker music. And, well, just listen to this. Horn sounds. Well, you just heard Le Conseil Spirituel, directed by Hervé Niquet, who's obviously used all of his connections as a wind player to call in a few favours. Mark, you better explain exactly why it sounded like that and what we were hearing. Well, first of all, those drums. Handel had originally written in the manuscript, at that cadence point, bruit de guerre, noise of war. And that's what Hervé Niquet thinks he meant. It's a duel between two sets of timpani. If you have a rootle round on the internet, you can find a video of these forces under Niquet performing this at the proms a few years ago. And they had stereo sets of timpani either side. And it was a battle between the two of them. It was a Nielsen Four job. Um, The the two sets of timpani either side of the stage. It was wonderful. So that's what that was. The sound of the brass is fascinating. Nikkei argues, together with some of his players who are involved in this, that this should be played, this was outdoor music, 
This should be played without using any of the subtleties that modern period instrument brass players use for tuning. They, they drill little holes in the tubing, which help them to get the notes in the harmonic series that are naturally out of tune, in tune. Nikkei doesn't have any track with any of that at all. As we could they, hear. As we could hear. <laughs> it means the horns are, technically speaking, out of tune. But it but sounds it's, wonderful. It's a fabulous sort of braying sound. It's great. I love this performance to bits. I'm not sure I could actually recommend it to the library. Um, we've got one more clip later on, which I think will help you to decide whether or not it's, it's the one for you. Well, we will. Let's keep it on the table for the moment because it's far too exciting Definitely. to let go at this stage. Right, who's next? Um, well... What I think we ought to move towards now is hearing some of the versions that include strings and are what has become, if you like, the conventional way of performing the indoor version of the Royal Fireworks music. Um, we heard the John Elliott Gardner performance earlier on. Um, here's another one that's on much the same lines. Jean Lemon directing Tafelmusik in the indoor version of Handel's fireworks music with the added strings. And suddenly you, you, you do this version of it and it sounds much more decorous. And you can tell we've, we've moved inside and none of the crockery is going to get broken. That's absolutely right. I'm just not sure in the end that this sim relatively simple music that I was talking about before actually responds best to that kind of treatment. I, I just need a bit more, a bit more oomph somehow or other. With both versions, it doesn't matter whether with both got the versions, or not. that's it. And I don't think, I don't think it has to be necessarily masses of players. Um, I, I just think it, it just need, needs a bit more energy and a bit, a bit more noise. Actually, I mean, I suspect the balance on that recording has been quite cunningly tweaked a bit, so that. Um, you hear the violins more. If there were only 11 violins there against the, the three trumpets and the, and the three or possibly four horns. Um, but the danger is that you lose this grandeur, which I think is, is a really important part of the fireworks music. But isn't that music. inevitable if, if, you, if you have chamber-sized forces? I mean, you, you, you don't have the massed oboe band. You can't actually reproduce that kind of power. Well, see what you think about this. This is um, a more recent recording on period instruments with a chamber orchestra, and I think it proves that small forces don't have to be lightweight.
Okay, small forces, but that's much more like it, isn't it? Tremendous sort of joie de vivre, as we as we were saying about Pinnock and uh, an English concert earlier. And uh, it's the Zephyro Baroque Orchestra, directed by Alfredo Bernardini, another oboist. It seems to attract them for very <laughs> obvious reasons. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a sense of occasion about that recording, which which I, which I really like. And he doesn't over. I mean, there are little shadings of dynamic and things that are, that are that are are performance rather than score if you like but they don't to me they don't ever get in the way I mean other people may 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 disagree about that but just in case you might be tempted to think that it's only the more recent recordings that's actually the most recent recording I I could find made in 2006 Um, if you think it's only the recent recordings that do that have a listen to this That's the 1984 recording by the English concert and Trevor Pinnock, the earlier of his, so of his two. So before the original in, instruments. In, indeed, yeah. that's right, and, and as you heard, with strings. I don't think there's much the matter with that, apart from one rather out-of-tune trumpet note, and we'll, let's put, just put that down to exuberance. Well, after Nikkei's um, horns, I, I think it would be wrong ab- to carp. Absolutely, no. And I'd, it, I think that wears its ears extraordinarily lightly, actually. I mean, it's a long time ago now. It really is. Um, it sounds even less dated than, than John Elliott Gardner's recording. And it, um, I'm afraid the Academy of Ancient Music and Christopher Hogwood's, which is at about the same time, does now actually sound just a little bit, little bit old. Well, you're listening to a special bonfire night edition of Building a Library, live from Radio 3's free-thinking festival ideas. At Sage Gateshead. Uh, Mark Lowther's going over the recordings for us with his finest toothed comb. Uh, Mark, we've established stylistic differences. We've had a good grounding in the variety of approaches on offer already. Uh, we haven't got any further than the opening French overture. Uh, it's about time we began dancing. I think it probably is, yes. We've got some dances to follow that overture. Um, and the next movement is a very perky little bourree in D minor. That's John Elliott Gardner and the English Baroque Celloists in 1983. And what they're doing is exactly what it says in the score, that you play the piece twice and play repeats second time without oboes and bassoons. That's one way of reading what it says in the score. You can also read the same instruction 
to mean a lot more repeats because you can play the whole thing with repeats, with strings and wind, and then the whole thing again with repeats, with strings, which makes a much longer movement. That's what Jordi Saval does on his recording. from Handel's Fireworks, Le Concert des Nations, directed by Jordi Saval in 1993. Uh, also, we haven't mentioned acoustics yet, apart from the obvious indoor-outdoor thing, but that's in quite a lot of space, and it's it makes a, a difference. Yeah, it does make a difference, and on this recording, it's not too bad with the smaller-sounding movements like that one, but the noisy stuff, it, it really doesn't feel like quite the right acoustic for the music. Um, however... I think it's time we... There will be people who will be saying, when's he going to mention it? When's he going to mention it? I think it's time I mentioned it. Um, we go back in recording history. 1959. 200th anniversary of Handel's birth... Death, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> late in the evening of the night before the actual anniversary, Charles McCarris gets an enormous wind band together in St Gabriel's Cricklewood in North London... Some of the players were still in their tails because they'd come straight from playing in concerts or the opera houses. It's the first time that anybody tried to record the original outdoor forces. And in fact, McCarris said, we needed a few extras because it was such a hard blow. And of course, McCarris is also an oboe player. Um, so they had 26 oboes, four bas 14 bassoons, four contrabassoons. And in this movement, this bourree, this is what it sounded like. late-night fireworks from just about every orchestral oboist and bassoonist playing in London in the late 1950s, I suspect, isn't it? It was, it was an amazing <laughs> event, and um, Sir Charles was apparently extremely pleased with it. Everybody was very happy. They had, they had a, a rush edit and a playback, and everybody thought this was something really special. And it still sounds quite extraordinary. It's been beautifully remastered for the, for the, for the current release. And it's not, not the only one to take the bigger-must-be-better attitude to fireworks. Absolutely not. A couple of years later... It was almost as if they wanted to top it. This is in New York.
the RCA Victor Symphony Orchestra conducted by Leopold Stokowski. 24 oboes, etc., etc., and strings. He didn't actually reorchestrate it, although nobody else actually uses a side drum in, in that movement. Um, you can tell there's somebody rather special on the box for that one. It's, it's, it's splendid in its way. Well, we can probably say it's lovely to hear them, and we should hear them, especially this morning, um, Stokowski and Macaris, but we need to part them on one side. Historically interesting, yeah. lovely to have, not absolutely essential for our library choice. But uh, come on, you've, you've gone through all kinds of sounds, different options. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot, Mark, and get you to give us an idea of the kind of sound you're actually looking for here out of all the possibilities you've played already. Well, I mentioned I want, I want this sense of, 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 of grandeur, of, of weight, because I think that's why Handel wrote what he wrote for the purpose for which he wrote it you know it was it was that kind of an occasion um the interesting thing to work out is whether or not we actually want to hear strings so let's do a bit of bit of um contrasting here this is the uh, the period instrument all wind version um by trevor pinnock in the english concert That's Trevor Pinnock and the English concert um, in the 1990s, the, the all-wind version. And you heard when all of the instruments came in there for that last extra little repeat. There's, it's just a wonderful sonority. I, I, I love it to bits. Um, let's move on to the next movement, which is a gentle Siciliana that Handel called La Paix, peace. And the horns come back. And Handel's score also includes one other possibility that not all recordings use just for this movement. Trevor Pinnock's 1984 recording with strings and with flutes. It took a little while to realise that when Handel wrote TR in the score, what he actually meant was traversi, which is transverse flutes, as yes. distinct from recorders. Um, and just one or two of the recordings include flutes in this movement. Um, Kevin Mallon's slightly underwhelming Naxos recording very proudly claims to be the very first to include flutes, but actually Pinnock beat him by... 20 years or so. <laughs> Only 20 years. But if you're going to include flutes, you have to hear them. You do. And actually, that, that, that works very, very well in, in, in that recording, I think. Well, you've identified there another instrumental curiosity that might make a difference. But um, it does, if we're deciding on modern or period instruments, and what kind of period instruments as well, because that keeps coming up with this piece, doesn't it? It does. And this is where we have to go back, I think, to Eve Nike's um, extraordinary version. Um, 
In this movement, Handel's melody quite often rests on the fourth note of the scale, and if you're using natural horns, that's a note which is naturally out of tune. He must have meant it. He must have meant it. Whether or not the players would have done a little bit of correcting at the time, I mean, Nikkei argues very convincingly that they wouldn't have done, and actually they would simply have played out of tune. I forgot to mention, by the way, that there are a lot of strings in this recording as well. Um, it's, a, it's a big string band as well as all of these wind players. Um, listen to this. It will either set your teeth on edge or you'll love it. and Le Concert Spirituel with a kind of unreconstructed uh, natural horn playing that Handel might actually have been trying to highlight there. And I have to say, my, my teeth are absolutely fine and I was grinning from ear to ear. I really enjoyed that. But if you're listening to this, you will by now have decided whether or not you want to have Hervé Nikkei's recording. If you, if, if you react as, as Andrew's done, and as I have to say, I do, I, I love it. But I, I couldn't really recommend it for the library because it, it, it really is going to be a bit too much for some people, I think. Now, your next recordings, what we haven't heard from yet, and I knew this ought to be here because it's it featured in Building a Library before for the, for, for the other piece. That's right. When Colin Lawson built the Library of the Water Music back in 2009, he chose a version by an Italian group called Latte dell'Arco, directed by Federico Guglielmo. And I think we ought to actually hear what their fireworks music is like. Arte del Arco, directed by Federico Guglielmo. Nice, appropriate, quite dry acoustic, lovely lilt, the horns sounding pastoral rather than as rustic as they did on Evenique's recording. Um, this is a very small group. It's only got seven violins. Um, in this movement, I think it works beautifully. I'm not quite so sure in the bigger stuff, but we'll come to that. Um, Maybe we ought to get the brass back again, I think. Let's move on to the next movement, shall we? The réjouissance, Handel called it, rejoicing. And this is where the score mentions side drums for the first time without actually saying what they play. It just says, with the side drums. And there's a timpani line, and some people get the side drums to play what the timpani play. Some people let the side drums have their head, and one of them is Sir Charles in 1959. He has them behaving themselves at first and then he lets them go. Listen to this.
Wow. <laughs> and that's why you might still want this vintage recording tucked away somewhere on your shelves. Macaris and the Pro Arte Orchestra in 1959 reissued on the Testament label. Splendid sound it, for all sorts of reasons. Not a modern contender, Mark. Not really a modern contender, no, but, but one you need to know about. And I wouldn't be surprised if after today you haven't got it, you, you, you add it to the collection. It is, it is rather splendid. There's no more thrilling sound, I have to say, on, on any of the recordings than this one. And the trouble is, after having played that, almost anything else will sound yes, a bit tame. Yeah. But I think this one is probably just a little bit too tame. <laughs> Musique, directed by Jean Lamont. Um, I think if you're going to do without the side drums, which arguably you should do for the indoor performances, the timpani need to be a little bit more audible than that. And it just sounds, I mean, as, as, as you said when we talked about this recording earlier on, Andrew, it just sounds a little bit too sort of decorous, really, I think. It, it loses the, the, the vim and the zip that we need for, for, for this piece. Um, and I'm afraid the Latte de Laco performance is, is rather the same, which I'm afraid means I've, I've put it aside. Um, the Zephyro Baroque Orchestra and Bernardini have a very interesting way of dealing with this movement. They start with just trumpets and drums, which gets us absolutely outdoors, and then they gradually build the orchestration up repeat by repeat until everything they've got in there. There might only be eight violins, but the overall effect of it is pretty exciting. We'll, we'll, build, we'll catch the build-up part way through. calculated build-up of forces from Alfredo Bernardini and his Zephyro Baroque Orchestra. They're still impressing me, Mark, and, well, it sounds as though they're still in the running. Um, who else has made it onto your final shortlist by this Well, stage? as we approach the home straight, I think, together with that Zephyro Baroque Orchestra version, I'm going to keep both of Trevor Pinnock's recordings, and I'm going to keep John Elliott Gardner's recording for the time being. Um, as we move into the last movement, which, or should I say movements, because actually it's printed in the score as a pair of minuets, separate movements. The old tradition was that you played the minor key one, which is actually printed first, as a sort of trio, central trio section in the major, with the major ones either side. Some people do that, some don't, some start with the minor one, some start with the major one. There are no two recordings of the fireworks music, I have to say, that actually play everything throughout in the, the, the actual music, the same. Um, John Elliott Gardner starts with the minor key one, and it sounds like this. Mm -hmm. 
Sir John Elliott Gardner and the English Baroque Orchestra back in the 1980s. I really enjoyed this version. It, it doesn't try to do too much, and, and the, the, the playing stands up very, very well for the period. In the end, it's going to drop off the list because I just found it a little bit too neat and tidy, uh, which I know sounds a silly thing to say, but in this piece, um, neatness and tidiness isn't everything. And I just, I just felt that it was, it was a little bit over-groomed. Um, subtly over-groomed, but, but over-groomed. Now, the Zephyro Baroque Orchestra, in the, in the more recent recording, they begin with the major key minuet, played by just trumpets and drums, as they'd done with the previous movement, and they vary the orchestration a bit for the repeats, and it's all very colourful. You have to decide, really, if you think it's a little bit over-arty, and also if you think this tempo is a bit too fast. <laughs> That's the Zephyro Baroque Orchestra and Alfredo Nadini. Um, I like this version an enormous amount. Um, he's really got something to say about the piece, but he doesn't try to say too much, which, as I'll, I'll, I'll reveal in a moment, I think is, is my ultimate criterion for, for, for choosing a version. Um, there are a few slightly tricksy ornaments when it comes to the minor key uh, minuets that, that, that follow, but it's never dull. It's very well played. It's very well recorded, and... You've probably decided by now whether you like it or not. Well, I do like it, but it feels as though you're just about to put it on one side. And that's very interesting because that leaves us two sets of fireworks music up against each other with the same forces and the same director, Trevor Pinnock and the English concert. How on earth are we going to decide between these? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I didn't see this coming, I have to say. I really didn't when I started this project off at all. So we've got, we've got the, the, the big wind version from, from the 1990s and we've got the one with strings from the 1980s. So let's have a listen to a bit of both of them and see what we think. The thing I love about both of Pinnock's performances is that he doesn't try to put anything in the score that isn't there and he brings what is in the score absolutely to life. Um, here's the all-wind version, first of all, 1995. They do the minor key minuet as a trio between the major key ones. So let's start with the minor key bit and see how that sounds. <laughs> Thank you. 
uh, Trevor Pinnock directing the English concert in his 1995 recording, the original wind band version of Handel's Fireworks Music. Well, it, it's obvious, isn't it? Because that's the later Pinnock recording. Uh, it supersedes the one made 11 years earlier, so I think we have a winner. <laughs> oh, that it was so easy. Um, I love that version a lot. I love its glorious sound. I love the fact that um, that's a sort of noble ceremonial minuet. Um, that, uh, it was portly and it had pomp and it, it, it was had, it properly. Had, it had grandeur. I, I love it to bits. You would have thought, wouldn't you, as you say, that a 1984 recording would now sound dated. You'd have thought that something better would have come along in 30 years than the earlier Pinnock one. Do you know, I don't actually think it has. And the earlier Pinnock one, which has one building library before, I have to tell you, um, is going to be my choice as well. Um, it's the one version, this was my ultimate test, it was the one version that had me air conducting the most while I was listening to, to all of these performances. So here's the end of the older 1980s Trevor Pinnock recording, Prepare to Air Conduct If You Should Be So Moved. <laughs> The end of the second minuet from Handel's music for the Royal Fireworks and the earliest of Trevor Pinnock's recordings with the English concert. And in a final explosive revelation for reviewer Mark Lowther, it proves to be more satisfying even now than their later mid-90s fireworks. So that's Mark's overall building a library recommendation. Pinnock and the English concert in 1984, air conducting compulsory. It's on the Archive label. These days you'll find it in several packages, including as a DG Duo two-CD set at mid-price, coupled with their Archive recording of Handel's Water Music. The later recording is also on Archive, billed as the original 1749 version. If you end up getting it by mistake, it's Mark's runners-up, so definitely not a disappointment. You'll find full details of Mark's Building a Library recommendation on the CD Review website, and this has been a podcast edition of Building a Library, recorded live at Radio 3's free-thinking festival of ideas at Sage Gateshead. Well, next time we're back in London for Building a Library on the Pulak Flute Sonata, possibly the most played and recorded piece for flute and piano, with the irrepressible David Owen Norris comparing the recordings for us. You can listen live if you join me, Andrew McGregor, for CD Review, Saturdays from 9 on BBC Radio 3, 90 to 93 FM online and on digital radio. This is a download from the BBC. For more information and for terms of use, go to bbc.co.uk slash radio3.